This is Boss Ladies. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh, likewise. Thank you for having me. Of course. So why don't you start by, before we even get into lasagna love, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and and sort of how you got to where you are now career-wise? Oh, goodness. That's a long story. Let's see. (laughs) So um, uh, I'm trying to think of where the best place is to start. So, you know, I think social impact has been important to me for a really long time. So my formative experiences going back a really long way of just volunteering when I was a kid with my mom at library bake sales and singing in nursing homes. And so that's sort of just been a part of my DNA. And then, you know, thought I wanted to go into politics, went into campaigns and was like, this is really hard. Um, Switched to social entrepreneurship, loved it. Um, Worked for a nonprofit consulting firm, went to business school with the goal of, okay, I'm going to learn how the private sector does it and bring it back to the nonprofit sector. Then got totally sidetracked like you do after you graduate graduate <laughs> school, um, ended up working for Bain & Company and then my husband's real estate company and we really helped that take off. And then I, I think I just felt like like that social impact piece was missing. Like there was something missing from my life and I wasn't looking for lasagna love, but when the opportunity came along, it just felt like fate had brought me full circle and everything I'd been working towards my whole life, which I had no idea was leading up to this, just all kind of clicked into place. Oh, I love that. So can you tell us a little bit about how the idea came to fruition and and how you've, you know, what you've done over the last year? I mean, it's so incredible. Sure. So, I mean, the idea was a giant accident. It was literally me feeling really helpless. So I don't know if you remember how you felt, you know, a year ago at the beginning of COVID, but, you know, I was sitting in my kitchen in San Diego and we couldn't leave the house. Like there was, everything was shut down. I couldn't find a blood drive to donate to. There was literally just nothing to do. And I was watching people around me lose jobs early on. Uh, I was watching people really struggle with daycares are closed, schools are closed. All of a sudden I have kids at home. I'm lucky enough to have a job still, but how do I balance that? You know, our own business was going through, like construction was shut down. We couldn't, we we had no idea when we were going to be able to start doing work again. And so we were all just kind of sitting there being like, okay, like, what do we, what do we do? And I'm a huge believer in mindset and the power of possibility and don't see problems as problems, see them as opportunities. And so in that vein, I was like, I have a lot of tough free time. I've got a grocery delivery scheduled. Simran and I, that's my three-year-old, let's just, we're going to make extra meals and see who needs them. And that's what we did. And I thought that would just be, you know, pandemic would be here for a couple months. We'd make some meals. It would be great. Um, and then everything would go back to normal. And that's clearly not what, not what happened. <laughs> um, that, I mean, that's really the genesis of, of lasagna love. That's amazing. And like, did you know it was going to be lasagna? Did you start picking other meals to to start? Or how did that come to be? So in the beginning, it was... I, I don't, and I don't know if this was true across the country, but you basically took what you could get from the deliveries. So, you know, if lasagna ingredients happened to be a thing that most grocery stores had in store, but we also, we were able to get, you know, 10 pound bags of rice and, you know, a bunch of frozen chicken. And so I would make chicken and rice with tomatoes and beans, and I would make spinach pie. I would sort of make whatever came in the door. But lasagna kind of emerged as this is a comfort food. This makes sense. It's easy to make in bulk. I can make 10 as easily as I can make one. And so we slowly just kind of started making only lasagna. And how did you scale things? I mean, cooking in your kitchen lasagna with your kid, I feel like to now what's become what you have, I think, 20,000 volunteers working for Lasagna Love. Yeah. Like so, yeah. And I, I think the scaling, it, it there were almost phases. So 
And I've actually looked back to say like, okay, how did, how, is there a formula? Like, how did this actually start? Right. How, like, how, if I were to tell somebody, here's how you start a national movement, you know, <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, right. And so, and, and I think some things were really just had to do with like the situation and the context and the relevance of what we were doing. But then I think there were some things that we, that we did early on that really helped to scale. So, but I mean, thinking back to the very beginning, it was just, it was a matter of just being open. So I, I would get messages from, moms, um, because we were primarily posting in moms groups in the beginning, saying, hey, I don't need help, but I'd really love to make a lasagna because I'm feeling helpless too. And I don't have a way to give back. You know, do you have enough families to go around? And so it was one by one saying, yeah, sure. So I, you know, I set, I set up Andrea with a spreadsheet and I set up Angela with a spreadsheet. And I said, so all these people, I was just assigning them families and it was 10 of us and then 20 and then 50. And then at some point, you know, when people in Iowa started saying, hey, like, can I have a spreadsheet? I said, Yes, but I think we probably need some systems at this point. And so early on, it was around how do we build out systems that, that manage this, this growth so that we can scale basically based on wherever there's demand without there having to be a lot of you know, my, my time and hours. Um, so just what are the efficiencies that we can realize? And so it started out sort of as a, as a, as a what systems can we build um, and kind of went from there. But then there, I think there are so many other factors that went into it um, beyond that. That's so cool. And did you start with one state and then another state? I mean, you're in 50 states now. So was that a slow growth or? <laughs> we, we started where anybody said, I want to cook a lasagna. So I was just, <laughs> I, I was excited. Every time someone said they wanted to help, I was excited and said, that's fabulous. Sure. We'll figure it out. Like I don't live in Des Moines, Iowa, but I can probably get into a Facebook group there and post. And so, yeah, we started. So I think Des Moines and Ames, Iowa were the first cities that came on board. Then there were a couple of cities in California and then a woman in Texas and a woman in Florida. And it wasn't strategic. It wasn't like we looked and said, okay, like where's the next business? biggest market of people who have been affected by COVID. It was, where do we have people who are super excited about being involved and let's just go where they are because that's where we're going to grow quickly. I love that. And I love the mission and I love that you're, all these people are on board. How do you, you know, find people to give the lasagnas to? Like, how do you end up pairing people? Yeah. So we, I guess the way we think about like volunteer recruitment, it's all organic. So somebody sees us on the Kelly Clarkson show, someone sees us on the Today Show, and they go to our website and sign up. And I think that's that's where a lot of our growth has come from, is just getting the word out. And I think the number of people that has have signed up after seeing something is proof in how many people there are that really genuinely want to give back to their communities during this time. And they see this as an easy and safe way to do that. So, you know... Yeah, I think on the volunteer side, that's that's sort of how like recruiting just kind of happens. Um, and that, on the family side, we're much more proactive because we want to recruit families where we have volunteers. So we have a whole process that we use um, where we have local leaders in place and they, some of them post on Facebook groups and some of them go through local nonprofits or food banks to find people who are struggling, um, not just economically, but people who are just struggling with the sheer overwhelm of, oh my goodness, what's going on in the world? And then we have a really cool... I'm like, I'm going to nerd out on this. We have a really cool algorithm that a a team of fabulous grad students at MIT built for us that basically every week take the list of here's who wants to cook and here's who signed up and how do we basically optimize and match as many families and volunteers as possible. And then we send that out to the local leaders to to approve and and then the chefs get their assignments um, every Tuesday. 
Wow, that is amazing and so cool. And I love how resourceful you've been able to be throughout all of this as you've, you know, just scaled and adapted. Um, has th- Have you done anything like this before or is this just brand new learning on the fly? <laughs> Most of it I have never done before. So, but this is, it's it comes back to in the beginning where I think back to, you know, I've never built a nonprofit from scratch before, but I've, I've had plenty of jobs where I've been in startups and we've had to teach ourselves technology, like technology to do things that, we've never necessarily seen before. And so like, I've had that piece of it. And I, you know, I mentioned I was on campaigns, you know, I worked for the Obama campaign in 08, managing large groups of volunteers in a battleground state. And that's actually pretty relevant to managing, you know, and inspiring a group of 20,000 people to all sort of take action together. And so while I haven't done exactly this, I feel like I've done pieces of it. And that's why it's sort of come together. Um, But a lot of it does come down to just being willing to ask for help when you need it, which was a huge learning curve for me, to, to say yes when people offer. To I really love learning. So the idea that I'm in a really uncomfortable, challenging, I've never done this before space, I think that would make a lot of people really anxious. And for me, I, I'm thriving on it. And so I think those are some, you know, even though I haven't done it, it's, it sort of feels natural, which is cool. Yeah, I love that. And your go-getter attitude totally comes through. It's so apparent and and exciting. No, it's so cool to see. Do you ever like stop and take a minute and just look back like, oh my goodness, I did that? Like I built this amazing organization that supports so many different families and, and finds a way during a pandemic to allow people to give back. I mean, that's so exciting and cool. And yeah. I, I wish I I I would love to be able to say yes, of course, but honestly. I think two th- I think part of it's that we've just been moving at warp speed. And so I haven't until recently even had time to stop and reflect and say, wow, we have, you know, in September we had 500 volunteers. Now we have 20,000. Like that's that's a thing. Um part of it, you know, part of it I just haven't had the time and part of it is I I don't know. I I think I give so much credit to my leadership team and to the volunteers and to all the people who who are actually making lasagna that I, I don't I don't really feel I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, sure, I started this movement, but I don't know, it's, it was all kind of accidental. And it's, you know, it's, it's you guys that did it. And so there's a little bit of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I actually wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm uncomfortable saying that I'm proud of it or like really thinking about the role that I've played, um, which is probably something as a, as a woman in business, I should continue working on getting over. Yeah, no, I mean, I on the podcast, I've talked a lot about imposter syndrome with different people. And it sounds like, honestly, every time I brought that up, everyone's like, yes, I feel yeah. it. I relate. <laughs> yeah, have any- I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, do you have any strategies for that that you'd want to share? My So my, my new strategy, which came to me um, accidentally, was I may not be willing to do it for myself. Right. So like I still have a really hard time saying I'm proud of what I've done. What this is is incredible. But when I think about my now four-year-old growing up in our society as a woman, you know, she's got an incredibly strong personality. We're cultivating that as best we can. Uh, But when I think about the fact that I haven't told her that I'm proud of myself and that she's not getting that as a model, and I want her to have that because I because because I'm not good at it for myself. That's what it, like that actually makes me want to cry. The fact that I haven't told her that I'm proud of myself, and I want her to, I want to give that to her so that she grows up knowing that it's okay to have pride and knowing that it's okay to to feel really great about your accomplishments and that it's okay to own that. Um, 
because I don't think society will teach her that. I'm hoping it's shifting and it probably, it is slowly, but if I don't give that to her, where is she going to get it from? And so that's been my number one inspiration. And that's really honestly come just in the last month. That is so beautiful. And thank you for sharing that with us. I want to talk a little bit more about sort of raising a boss lady and come back to that in a moment. But one last thing on lasagna love, although I'm sure we'll touch on it throughout this conversation. (laughs) Where do you see it going? What's sort of next? What's your vision five, 10 years down the line? Yeah. So lasagna love has become much more than a movement about food. It's become a movement of kindness. And what, what we've seen in our volunteer base and in the recipient, there's like this, there's this hunger for kindness. There's a hunger to bring back the connectedness of our communities. And, you know, we've, we've lost a little bit of that in the last few decades. And I think COVID's given a really interesting opportunity where people are now taking, they have the mind space and the actual time to, to stop and think and say, you know, this is, this is missing. I want it back. So we we're already starting to transition. Like, yes, our core is still like we make and deliver lasagnas, but we launched a kindness pledge earlier this year. We have over 3000 people who have signed on to it and they're not necessarily our volunteers. They're people who have heard about us, who maybe don't want to make a lasagna, who maybe don't like to cook, but who want to have an impact. And so they're committing to do other things like, you know, shovel their neighbor's sidewalk or pay for somebody's groceries in the supermarket or leave bubbles at a playground with a note for kids. Right. So there's all these other things that you can do that show kindness to strangers or show kindness to people in your community. And I think that's where I see us going in the long term. Um, I think there's always going to be an abs- absolutely a need for, for neighbor-to-neighbor home-cooked meal delivery. I think there's something so really primal around feeding and, and the kind of kindness and support that that gives. But I think it'll become one piece of a much larger picture. Well, I'm excited to see it grow and, you know, continue uh, sort of cheering you on as this expands. And and it's super awesome to talk to you today and to hear this because I think a lot of us did feel, you know, sort of hopeless in March and not sure how to give back. And uh, I definitely felt that. And it's so it's so cool and awesome to hear a story for someone who didn't take that minute and just go like, oh, I feel that guilt, but actually was like, you know what, I'm going to find a way to take action and to to create a, you know, a system where we can provide people who need meals with food. Because when you think about how many people don't have food right now in, in the U S and around the globe, it's, it's, it's very sad to think about. So I love that, you know, you've put this together and, and started this mission for finding a way during this pandemic for people to give back. So I think that's awesome. Well, if you like to make lasagna, you know where to find us. (laughs) (laughs) And also anyone listening, if you want to get involved, I mean, definitely what's the best way for listeners to reach out and to volunteer and get involved? Yeah. So you can go to our website, lasagnalove.org. There's a button to volunteer. There's a button to request. And one thing that I think we haven't talked about, but um, I think sets lasagna love apart from a lot of uh, services out there is that we define struggling very broadly. Um, we One of our goals is to just normalize asking for help and to take away the stigmas associated with what it means to, to struggle. And so whether you're you know, a, a teacher going back to work, a frontline worker who's burned out, um, somebody who just needs a break for a night, or someone who is, you know, facing food insecurity and, and trying to put food on the table, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter why you come to us, we're no questions asked, just raise your hand and we'll be there for you. So if you're a family listening to this and you could use a lasagna, feel free to sign up as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I hope everyone listens and either, you know, gets involved to make lasagna or if you need a lasagna, um, like she said, you know, reach out as well. So I want to ask you one question about your career, and then I want to jump topics a bit. 
did you have any mentors that have sort of paved the way for you? Or do you feel like this was really just like, you didn't know what you were doing, but you figured it out, which is super inspiring either way? A little bit of both. So I, I am historically very bad at finding or leveraging mentors. It's something that I, I think I always wanted, but never really knew how to do and always felt really uncomfortable if I found somebody and I was like, okay, we're sitting here, we're having coffee. What am I supposed to ask you next? And it always felt very forced. But I think more recently, especially with Lasagna Love, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding what that mentor relationship looks like. And so there are people within the community, the Lasagna Love community who um, have more experience than me, whether it's in nonprofits or in business development or fund, whatever it is. And they, they've become my, my advisors, my mentors who I can, who I can call on anytime. And it's a, it's funny because it happened more organically where, you know, they offered help and I hopped on the phone and then six months later, I'm like, Hey, we've been talking every week. I guess you're one of my mentors versus sort of saying like, okay, I have to go find a mentor for this thing. Um, and I think that's part of why it's worked so well, but I've definitely, definitely had people who have provided amazing support and insight from the beginning of Lasagna Love. Yeah. I mean, the word that keeps sticking out to me as we have this conversation is just community. It seems like you've been able to leverage community in so many different ways, whether it's getting this off the ground or getting support when needed. So that's that's really cool. So I want to go back to your the, our conversation about your daughter, just because I always love to talk about the future generation of boss ladies, <laughs> and I, I love that you know you were you were saying how you want her to see that you're proud of yourself, so she knows that she can also be proud of herself. Can you talk to me about sort of raising a boss lady and some strategies that you find that work for you, or strategies you've tried that maybe don't work for you? <laughs> I'm laughing because I literally at at nine o'clock last night was Googling how to parent a strong-willed child Uh, because I had like, I had this hysterical four-year-old on my lap, like just like could not breathe, could not anything like, and she was upset because she got out of bed and wanted to go to the bathroom. And I was like, yeah, you could, but you have to go by yourself. And that was not what she had in mind. And (laughs) it led to like an hour, an hour long conflict of, okay. And, and, and it's just... For those of you out there listening, raising strong-willed children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, so it's interesting because she 100% is a future boss lady, like no questions asked, and and she's so independent and she wants to do everything by herself and she's just motivated and driven and asks questions and it's wonderful and I love it about her and I want to cultivate every piece of that and it's exhausting um, and it's so hard as a parent because you're like but what like but what about things like obedience and rules and listening and like it's important to teach you know you also like here's also how you interact with the world and and it's a really fine balance but um what we found, and I'm not gonna, I am not gonna say that I am great at at using these strategies 100% of the time. But <laughs> the, the things that I know work and should be doing more often are, you know, I I I really try and encourage her to. I encourage that independence. So you know, I let her do things that I think a lot of parents wouldn't necessarily let their kids do. Like I'll let her try things and fail uh, unless it's like really going to hurt her. Like I'll let her, I'll let her climb something. I'll let her chop with a sharp, sharp knife. I'll let her, you know, if she feels comfortable with it, I'll say, go for it. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here if something goes wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's one thing is just really empowering kids and thinking about kids as like small adults versus, you know, children who aren't capable of doing anything. And I think giving her that freedom 
it's good for her. It's, it makes it hard as a parent, but it's good for her. So that's one piece of it. And I think the other piece of it is, you know, teaching her that her emotions are valid and valuable, whatever that emotion is. And I think this is something that we as women maybe weren't, we were sort of taught there's a certain way to act. Um, you know, there's a certain, it's, you know, humility is important. Modesty is important. All these things are, you know, be a little quieter, like don't be mean, um, don't be bossy. So there's all these labels that we grew up with where it's like, it's not good to be these things. And I think I'm really conscious of of validating who she is and validating how she feels and telling her, yeah, it's okay to feel that way. Yeah, like, you know, if but here's but here's here's how other people are gonna take it. So you just need to understand the context, you need to understand the consequences, but you know, there's nothing wrong with feeling frustrated, there's nothing wrong with feeling angry, there's nothing wrong with being bossy, there's nothing so um and that's that's another thing where it's like I have to check my own my own to sort of What's the word for it? Like the 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 things that I, that were passed to me through society, like the beliefs that I've held, even though I don't necessarily hold them conceptually, they're habits for me because that's what I was brought up with. And so, really having to challenge some of those in the way that I raise her, uh, which is it's it's a it's a journey for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And and you know, she, you said she's four, right? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, at some point, you know once she's older, seeing sort of how these strong, exciting, bossy, but in a good way, I think boss is such a great word, you know, like personality traits start to come more and more into fruition. So you can start to see more of it. I think that'll be really beautiful to watch unfold. Yeah. And I'm hoping it does, right? Like I'm hoping with every generation, we're trying new things and we have no idea if they're going to work out because no one's tried them before. So it's like, okay, well, if I tell her it's you know, yeah, it's okay to be bossy. Own that word. Is that going to totally backfire in 20 years? Who knows? But we're doing, we're doing the best we can as parents. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm sure. And actually, I have a question for you. So I've been asked this a lot. And I, I don't always feel like I have a good answer. But oftentimes, people talk to me about how they get labeled as bossy or aggressive when maybe a male counterpart might get, you know, told that they're a leader and empowering. And, you know, it's yeah. interesting how the adjectives change based on gender. Do you have any advice for people who are getting those labels and how to sort of pivot that into positive feedback of, you know, maybe I am a leader when you say I'm bossy or something like that? Yeah. It's funny. This is totally related to the the piece that what I was writing about last week on like owning, being proud and it's okay to be proud. And, you know, going back to, I I think the, the piece of wisdom that was passed to me is, and I'm trying to remember, I'm going to try and remember word for word, but like, you know, Basically, if 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 you're if you're confident and proud, that goes hand in hand with humility very nicely. It doesn't go hand in hand with arrogance. And I, I think separating those two things, especially as a woman, I think separating those two things can be helpful because we because we do see men in the workplace who like are like, yeah, like I, I you know, I have this big accomplishment and this big win and like pats on the back and wonderful. But if a woman says, Oh my gosh, like I did this thing, it's it's not, it's it's not just men, it's other other women bring bring them like we have to like cut everybody down to the same level I, I think a couple things one I think own it because the women who or people I shouldn't I shouldn't generalize but like people who look at a woman and say you're bossy you're too much of a leader you're too strong their opinion doesn't matter right like what matters is your opinion of yourself the opinion of the people who 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 you love like your your children your spouse like your closest friends those are the people whose opinion genuinely matters. And even then I would say, if they're not on board, well, too bad. 
<laughs> so, you know, I think it's, I think my advice is just having, having the confidence in your own ability and having the confidence in who you are as a person. And I'm not going to say it's easy to build that because it's a, it's a lifetime, um, especially if you grew up, you know, in our, our sort of in our generation, but you know, I, I think just owning that and understand and, and coming to terms with the fact that, you know what, not everyone else out there, like actually doesn't actually matter what they think. Um, and I, and I think part of what's helped me realize that is that I can be proud. I can be confident. I can be all of these things and still, and, and still be humble about it. I'm not like, I'm not going to put it out there and be like, I'm the best person in the whole wide world. Look at me. I'm so cool. One, cause I don't believe it, but also too, because like that, that's that, that's on that border. That's like crosses the line into arrogance. And I think you know, I think if we stay on the side of, you know, confidence with humility, pride with humility, not humility in the modesty sense, because I think modesty has some, I think that's rooted in some not so positive female characteristics. But, you know, I think, I think that's, that's where I'm comfortable. And then I think it's just a matter of practice. The more you do it, the more it becomes okay. Yeah. And also like you, you touched on, you know, women really making sure that they support other women, right? Like, I mean, that's, kind of what this show is about right boss ladies like supporting other women hearing their stories we're all in it together and and I saw a funny like it was like a meme or something on Instagram the other day and it was like congratulating my coworker on her I don't know if you follow Mrs. Dow Jones I think is what it is but she's like congratulating my coworker on her promotion because there's room at the top for both of us and it's like Yes, there yes, is. <laughs> that's totally it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing, like, I feel like there's a shift happening and it's happening slowly, but, you know, and this, I mean, this is even, this, this plays out a lot in mom communities where there's just so much judgment on like, well, you're parenting this way and I'm parenting this way and you're doing cloth diapers and I'm doing disposables and you're breastfeeding and you're like, there's so much judgment around the choices that we make. And, you know, I just, I, like, I want to just kind of throw that out the window and say, no, like we're, we've got to be good to each other. We're here for each other. We've got to lift each other up because who else is going to do it? I think that plays a role in, in also, you know, feeling comfortable being a boss lady because it, you know, the more women can come together and support each other, the more there will be that sense of support of when someone does well, we want, we want, we want them to win. We want them to keep going. We want them to do better. We're not, you know, comparing them consistently to our like ourselves or or handling our own insecurities in the way that we respond. Absolutely. And speaking of women supporting women, can you tell us a little bit about Good to Mama? Yeah, I mean that's where this all that's where this all started. Wait, I mean, this was maybe a kind of think maybe 6 months before the pandemic started. So, you know, I'd had two kids and after Simreen was born, after my daughter was born, I, I felt super isolated and super like I didn't know who I was. I had lost all sense of identity. I felt like, you know, all of a sudden I was a mom and no one else. You know, I, was I still a wife? Was I still a career person? Like, where, where was my career? What, and, um, and that was that was hard. And I, you know, I, I sort of felt very alone and much later learned that this is a totally normal thing that many women go through after they have kids. <laughs> and so and after after my son was born, I just kind of had this realization of, you know, what's missing is I stopped taking care of myself. I like, I focus so exclusively on these two little beings who I love and cherish, but to the exclusion of doing the things that I need to fill my own cup. And so I got back and I, you know, got back into exercising. I got back into, um, you know, some meditation practices. I made, made time for my friends. I made time to call my mom. I, all the things that I knew were how I was good to myself. I, I very intentionally made time for those things again. And that really turned it around. And what I realized is that made me 
not just happier, it made me a better parent. I was much more able to take care of the people around me that I loved, that I, I, I thought I was giving this all up to take care of them. But it turned out if I gave it all <laughs> up, I, I actually wasn't doing a great job. And so that's where Good to Mama was born was, oh my gosh, there's so many other women out there who are going through the same thing. If my experience can help even one person you know, realize that filling their own cup is actually going to make them be a better parent or be a better wife or be a better businesswoman or, you know, whatever it is that, that, that is so important to them that they should do it. And so I've been writing for over a year now, just on my experience and things have changed and I learn new things every day and, and just kind of putting it out there. You know, one of the things you said when you were talking about lasagna love is how much you love to learn. And it's it's really cool to hear as you are sharing your story, how much you really do not only love to learn, but love to sort of adapt and try new things and continue learning and continue trying new things. And it's it's really, really awesome. So my last question for you, and I always love to end on a positive. We've talked about many accomplishments throughout the interview, but what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments? Well, we're going to go right back to that pride thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got this. <laughs> I was like, I said I was going to do this, so now I've got to do this. <laughs> oh my goodness. I I'm proud that in the last year I've impacted 200,000 people across the country. Like I can't I don't nothing I've done in my life with the exception of childbirth is bigger than that. <laughs> right? Like 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 200,000 people. That's huge. 200,000 people that it, you know, I didn't feed them with my own hands. But if I hadn't had the idea and if, if I hadn't, you know, worked tirelessly the last year, you know, those people wouldn't have had food on the table. They wouldn't have had love from a neighbor. They wouldn't have had kindness. They wouldn't have had that spark of hope during COVID. And that's, yeah, I mean, to your question about have I stopped to think about it, I'm stopping to think about it right now. And that's, that's pretty incredible. It's so amazing. And I, you are such a boss lady. And I'm so ha happy to have had you join me on the show today. Thank you so much. This is so wonderful. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for all the thought provoking questions. <laughs> of course. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm -hmm.